Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. from today's sponsor lost in the woods come on honey let's go this way you don't know what to do i, I don't know where to look I, I just i don't know what to do you feel your sanity slowly strip away as you listen to one more children's song La, 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 no, la, 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 no, I can't. La, 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 I just can't take it. La, 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 I can't listen to it again. I can't listen to it again. Please, please, no. Look, Dad, it's fun time with Mr. Dave. What? Oh, you're right. Look, there it is. Oh, it's right there at funtimewithmrdave.com. I'm, I, I'm saved. I'm saved. Fun time with Mr. Dave. Saving parents' sanity since 2020. Welcome, everybody, to today's side quest. We are really excited to be bringing in another one of our friends of the show that contacted us on Twitter to talk about their Kickstarter campaign. We've got Kel here from Awfully Queer Heroes. Kel, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thank you very much for having me. It's appreciated. Absolutely. We love reaching out to fellow content creators out in the marketplace to bring them on to kind of talk about their crazy ideas that they're throwing up on Kickstarter. And I say this with all due respect, the scope of this campaign is ludicrous. And we're going to go ahead and get into that in just a minute here. But before we dive into that, tell us about yourselves. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, Hi, I'm Kel, the owner, crazy creative person behind Awfully Queer Heroes. It started as a whole with Awfully Queer Heroes because the pandemic hit and I wanted to play D&D. So like any completely crazy person, I went, hey, you know what? I don't know anyone that plays online. I'm just going to look on Twitter and say through my mutuals and through various D&D TPRPG accounts and just go, you're queer. You have a, what looks like a decent Twitter account. You don't seem like a psycho. Do you want to play D&D with me? And I literally just made a team by doing that. There were a few full starts, as would happen when you decide to do something a little bit crazy like that. We got an amazing team eventually. We streamed a series of what was an absolutely amazing campaign on Twitch. 
Unfortunately, then, because of personal commitments and, and generally life, um, the team wasn't able to continue. So I was like, okay, what do we do now? We migrated to podcast and that was fine. I created the, the Discord server and a bunch of other things. A team wanted to use my channel to be able to stream their tabletop RPG stuff. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'm not using it at the moment. Go for it. So I let them stream on there and we have another team that's starting up soon. We've just joined... There are so many things going on. It just, it's one thing after another. Uh, throughout all of this, I have a full-time job and make tabletop RPG stuff. It's it's a bit crazy, but um, it's it's been amazing. And yeah, I, I hold down a full-time job in IT. I love it. And generally spend the rest of the time either on Discord, Twitter, or some kind of writing app. <laughs> that I, I, IT represents. So not only do I do the podcast, but I'm also, uh, I'm a software engineer. So that's what I do kind of full-time. All of us have other nine-to-five jobs. And your experience starting Awfully Queer Heroes sounds a lot like how we started this podcast. I know people that have listened to the show are, have heard this story before, but on a, on a lark back in November, Liwanika and I, who had been talking about doing a podcast for probably 20 years, finally decided to go ahead and get into one about Dungeons and Dragons, you know, because there aren't a million of those. We'll be able to, you know, dive right in, right? But it has been just a tremendously fun experience. And I will say for myself, one of the best things about this podcast is meeting other creators out in the space that sound awesome like you. So uh, we're really excited to go ahead and, and have you on here today. Gentlemen, anything else that you want to say uh, before we dive into kind of the episode proper here? Yeah, I want to echo what Josh said. Um, doing this podcast has put us in the same sphere uh, with so many great content creators, whether it be podcasts, Kickstarter projects, uh, game products, or just content creators from the Twitch or YouTube life. And some of our shared experiences are so similar. I love the fact that uh, here we are thousands and thousands of miles across an extraordinarily deep bucket of water. And yet there are so many things that we do that are so much in common that that's a wonderful thing. Like that just, I pity those who don't have a geek hobby like we do and, and an inability to connect and associate with people from so far away from so many different quote unquote walks of life, even though as we've just discussed, we are effectively doing all of the same things. We are living our lives. We are living our pandemic lives. We are working nine to fives or the equivalents thereof and doing things like this to maintain some semblance of fulfillment and sanity. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, And one of my favorite parts about doing shows like this one, the collaborations is how much we can learn from each other. Cause as I'm listening to your story, it's very similar to ours as they've mentioned, but kind of, we had different approaches. You started out directly into some actual plays and you're already in content creation, then went podcast. We started podcast, but now we're really trying to get our content creation game together. So, you know, each time we do one of these things, it's such an amazing opportunity to hear about how somebody else has been doing it and learn more about how we can make ourselves better too. Absolutely. Great. So let's go ahead and dive in here. So we're going to talk about your next Kickstarter, all, what was it, the, the Sunblade subclasses, spells, and Pantheon. But, you know, like I said, when we were talking earlier, who knows what questions are going to come up here. So so I, I kind of want to dive onto the topic that Glenn just talked about. So how did you get started in the content creation that uh, kind of led you to this Kickstarter and the Kickstarters to come, which again, we're going to, we're going to get into uh, the level of the insanity in a moment here. So that's, yeah. I was having an appalling day. It was that simple. I was having the worst possible day. I was filled with cold. I 
literally was so dosed up on prescription medicine. It was ridiculous. And I had one of those moments where your brain just ups and outs. <laughs> it just upped and outed of my head, yeah. completely went. And I don't, I don't really know what I was honestly thinking about or what started it. But I think one of my, my cohorts in the team had said something about trying to play an aliens game or a powered by the apocalypse game and different rules different things and people were a bit the team weren't keen because they were like oh i've never tried this before I, i'm not sure how this would work i don't know about this that or the other so there i am in my prescription drugged haze because i was feeling very unwell and my brain was just like there must be a way that we can put all this together like a central location that's sealed your only way out is a portal and whenever you go through you're in a different game system and for a while i was like great this is amazing this is a brilliant idea i can put power by the apocalypse i can put pathfinder this that the other and i can have a tower that you progress up and deal with and you advance in DD levels while playing other systems it turned out it's completely impossible. <laughs> it sounded awesome, but I'm like, dear God, just, just thinking about it and trying to put the logistics together in my brain, I was like crying wow. for you. Yeah. So, yeah. so the thing was, I'd sat there and I'd spent weeks making this enclosed location with the portal and in between writing all this enclosed location out, I was messaging the creators of Power by the Apocalypse. Pazian, there's, oh, there's there's about five others that I, I won't mention, but I messaged loads of people saying, this is what I'm hoping to do. Would it be possible? Would you be willing to, you know, be involved? And a couple of them come back and said, yes, here is a 65 page thing of the basic rules. And that's when I went, oh, holy crap, this isn't going to work. If I have just five of these, that's a book in itself. And that's just the rules. That's not even the location, the adventures or anything else. So I started to scrap the idea. I was like, no, I like this location. I've worked for weeks on this location. And it, it was the first tower, which I decided, I, I gave it a lot of thought and went, you know what? I have put way too much into this. I am not abandoning this tower. So I recreated it and it honestly didn't take much because I had done it primarily for D&D into, it is still a sealed location. This is the first of three locations that I've now written. It just keeps expanding. It's a sealed location that each level you have to go through the portal five times and collect magic orbs. Those orbs are used to repair the level and gain you access to the next one where you have cool things like an alchemy room with a your own personal little broken golem that can help or hinder depending on what you do. A junkyard where interdimensional portals just open up and dump things through and any point you could go in and find something absolutely horrifying or absolutely amazing. So I'm writing all this and it's taken, well, it's not finished, but that part till then took me a good few few months to just get all my thoughts out, get some of the descriptions down. And I'm writing it and I'm writing it and I keep referencing this god of the Sunblades. It's the Sunblades Tower. I was like, great, well, the Sunblades have a god. They worship something. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And I get to three quarters of the way through it. And I just think, who the bloody hell is this god? <laughs> so i was like okay put the tower on hold think about who these gods are and i sat down with my partner i was like i should have thought of this a lot sooner i haven't figured it out what's going on and my partner said you know come on you, this is in your head the the god is there somewhere i was like well obviously it's the sun blah blah blah, blah. and i just reeled it off without thinking about it and he said great 
now go write that down before you forget it. Oh, yes, quite. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wrote one and I went, well, they're going to be a bit lonely, aren't they? That's that's not going to work very well. So I wrote another five. And then on an offhand comment, my partner Jay said, okay, but the people that lived here, they might be dead for 10,000 years, but they were warriors, they were sorcerers, they were this, that, the other. Are they going to be the same classes as your D&D standard? Because if they worshipped Sol, or we've changed it now to Solin, would they not have specific things, specific subclasses? Or like, oh, yeah, I, sh- I should probably write one or two of those. <sighs> 65 later. I was going to say, yeah, so here we are now <laughs> on the Kickstarter. Uh, yes. and I'm going to, I'm going to read off of the, uh, off the, the promo image on your, on your Kickstarter page. So for the Sunblade, Sun classes, spells, and Pantheon, 65 subclasses, 56 spells, eight races, six gods, and three feats. I kind of love the three feats at the end. It's like, it's kind of like, it's like 65 subclasses, three feats between all 65. That's, a, that's just kind of like, I, I, I find that like a funny bit of, 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 of parallelism. But um, yeah, this, I mean, this, to- so how many pages is this? It's, I mean, it's got to be two, 300 pages, right? Uh, it's The thing is, we don't know for certain yet. At the moment, I literally have it open on my desktop right now. And it's it because we're still formatting it because the art isn't in there yet it's at 115 but this isn't with table of contents this isn't with the art it's probably going to be 2 to 250 but we're not certain because without the art we we just don't know yet so i just wanted to make sure that you are inducted as first ballot uh, entry to the overachievers hall of fame 2021 <laughs> Because you are going to write a couple of those. 65 later. There's a logic behind it. I swear. So I'm assuming five per class. Is that kind of we how it works? always insist that there's a logic behind it. And it is there somewhere. I absolutely believe you because I looked through the page and I saw the breakdown of how many subclasses for each of the classes. And having some familiarity with uh, the mind running on while you're creating, like, I sat down over this weekend working on some spells for a future project we have. And I said, well, I probably need to come up with at least one, maybe two. I am now at six that I have roughed out that I have to work on. In fact, the guys in between this recording and an earlier recording helped me with a word that I was stuck on so I could move (laughs) forward. Because I literally could not think any further until I got that word out of my head. So I'm right with you. I, I absolutely understand. It's like, I'm writing, I'm building this world and all of a sudden there's a piece of the world that I can't go forward with until I explain it. Now I'm explaining it and all of a sudden I can't explain that unless I show how that explanation is expressed. So now you've got this stuff and then everything just comes out of that tree of life, so to speak, growing. And so I love that and looking at what you have just and what you allowed us to preview on the for this kickstarter is amazing i i think i have and especially after talking with you for just a short time that we've spoken so far i i'm getting a really good sense of i see where this came up and i see why it came up and i'm very anxious to see the result because it, it is striking it's a lot of material but there's so much good stuff yeah there. and the the overall plot that you're talking about like that sounds amazing like i'm just like like i appreciate i appreciate that that moment of self-reflection like oh god what did i just bite 
into like how how big is this going to right what have i done to myself yeah. we've all done that exactly right you know and so like as you're sitting there think, talking about it i was like oh yeah one portal like open to all the all the different worlds like yeah no i can see how that would be cool like i can see that and then as like as i start thinking through them like oh yeah no and and that's crazy like that's insane like that's Okay. All right. Cool. But but the concept is so good. It's like um, you know, like we were we were literally just talking earlier today about how Wizards of the Coast has announced a Planeswalker book, um, and and kind of how and so that's kind of like where my mind was going, like a single portal where it's like you can get to all these different places and all these different all these different universes and all these different realities and everything like that. And I think building. So would you consider this a game unto itself or is it a module that you attach onto an existing game or somewhere in between? I actually deliberately wrote it so it could be either. It You can take your characters from level 1 to level 20 or you can dip in and out. I've deliberately done it both ways. The portal, I we're writing 20 adventures for this. So there's, there's five adventures for the first four levels and then the last level is something special, which I won't spoiler. Yes, there's 20, 20 adventures that are included, but they're, they're interchangeable. You can literally just say, you know what? I don't like that adventure, but this one this one that I bought on DMs Guild or Kickstarter or somewhere, I love that, so I'm shoving that one in. And, oh, you've gone through the portal, boom, you're there. So my, my cohort, who is an absolute genius when it comes to formatting, and he does a lot of Kickstarters himself, but he has provided me with some very good ideas that I'm just like, hey, running, and that exploded again. Like, for example, he was doing the formatting for this and he, he was just like, Kel, you haven't, you haven't mentioned spells anywhere. I was like, no. He's like, Kel, there's spells all over these classes. I was like, yeah. He's like, no, no, Kel, you need to mention that in the Kickstarter. I was like, oh, right. Yes. Yes. People like those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not like you've got like, it's not like you have like five or 10 spells. Like you've got like 50 something spells in this book. So it's like, as someone who has recently, like Lou and Nico's talking about for a project we're doing, I tried sitting down and writing spells and I like, I wrote one and I was like, this is, this is awful. For one, it's like, I'm, I'm doing the same thing that's already covered in another spell. So I really don't need to make another spell to do this. But like coming up with spells is diff- is tricky. There's a, there's a science to it, unironically, I think. And, and that you've come up with 56 of them is for this one astounding. Yeah. In, in total, I actually have a document that my next Kickstarter, these ones are specific to the subclasses. My next one is all the spells that the Sunblades as a whole would have used. I, I have like two, uh, 199 so far. I'm trying to think of that last one to make it 200. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I don't know how or why. I'm just like, oh, that's a great idea. I could need I need a spell for that. And then I just make some notes and at some point it will pop into my head how it should come across and I write it down. I'm very lucky in that I'm an ideas person. Very lucky. So this one, yes, the only reason we've had to split them out is because at the moment there's over a thousand pages and we just can't ship it. We've had to like take it out in chunks of things that match each other. So like the, the subclasses and the gods and the feats and the spells for those they all go together. So we just sort of yoinked that, those pages out and we've kept those separate. And then we're taking the spell pages out and making a whole book for that as well, because he'll he'll just say, oh, Cal, we haven't got a, a spell for so-and-so. You seem to have missed this. I'm like, okay, great. Here's 10. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, that's the first location. That's entirely enclosed. It goes from level one to, to 20. And the premise of it is these people used to live millennia ago 
but they've been gone for so long that they're myths even to the elves. They're sort of, oh, be careful or the Sunblades will come for you, that sort of myth. They have a tower in most realms and most planes of existence, but they, they've been gone. No one can get in or out except somehow, mysteriously, every few hundred years, a group of adventurers will suddenly materialise in there. They'll be gone for a few years and then they're kicked back out, but they can't explain how it happened. It's explained in the book, but I won't spoil that. There's another, this, the second location is sort of rewinding time for 10,000 years and going back to what caused these people to vanish off the face of the earth. And you get to play as the denizens of chaos and breach a tower and then clear it first to, to fifth level. And the way that I've done this one is there's a couple of towns outside so they can come in and out. It's not just battle, battle, battle. But I've done it that every level of the room has 10 randomized options for rooms. So when you enter the tower, you roll a d10 to see how many defense rooms appear. And then you roll another d10 for each one against a table that I created. So the first room you roll, it might be something as simple as a guard room. The second one could be a four mile square cavern that has entrances up and down all different side all, all different sides of the cliffs. On the map, it's so difficult. I've had to only add the entrances for the simple reason of they're interdimensional. I couldn't put all the different connections because it would have just been a blob, in fairness. But that's really fun. So oh, there's so many things that I could spoil it with that, so but I won't. Much. I, won't. I, I totally. I mean this is this sounds like this like there, this is a truly hugely expansive project. So, is this the first Kickstarter that you've kind of had in this world, or yes? Okay, and how, how many more do you have to come afterwards? Um, well, sorry, the this one actually is the second one. My apologies. My cohort thought that we needed an introductory adventurer adventure to to sort of bridge the gap of what are these people, and that was the first one that we did. Finished that last month, and I've just sent out the majority of them this weekend actually for fulfillment so this one is the the spell subclasses and the pantheon the next one is um the magic spells and items the reason why the locations i'm a bit unsure on it on whether it's going to be one or two is initially because of the postage issue um though that i was going through the british post office which suffice to say was expensive we literally, for this one, I was halfway through fulfilling and we found an alternate that was half the cost and it just went, and faster, half the time. So I was like, yes, get it to people quicker. I am more than happy with this. So we're using that for the next one, which is why we might be able to condense all the locations into one. So what should have been nine or ten is condensing into six, maybe seven. So we've got this one, the magic items and spells. Then in October is the locations. So that's the first tower. The second tower, which is 10,000 years in the past, where you get to play as the forces of evil and chaos. And the two endings of those two come together quite nicely. A god basically freezes you in place if you want. If you've done the first tower and you want to complete the ending, as well as the second tower and you want to complete the ending, the two can go off each other and you can actually battle as against your old selves. So if you were... So if, if you finish the first one, you get to level 20 and you defeat the big bad, you then go to the second tower, you come up and you end up being the big bad that goes through the portal and you can call up the character sheets, 
this took a lot of writing and figuring out. I guess so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, and this is exactly the kind of stuff that we're into. So go, go ahead. Luanika, you look like you've got. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I am, I love the symmetry. I love uh, combining um, campaigns uh, where you can say, okay, I've done this for a while. Now we're going to switch gears, do this other thing, and then have this third thing that is literally the result of and combination of the previous two. That is something that I've done in multiple tabletop games. I've done it second edition D&D. I've done it dovetailing off of Glenn's campaign world and Rift's Palladium. I am running two separate campaigns in the same game world, and I've had two or three crossover sessions, which have all been very epic. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back, but that's just things that players who took part in those have said but they really enjoyed those moments. And I can say that they were epic for me running them. Like the look on my players' faces, even through Zoom, was just like, yeah, they're digging this. And you can hear it in their voices. There's something about when you give them that moment that's just amazing. That's why we watch all kinds of television shows and we're like, oh, when so-and-so appears on this show, we get that crossover episode or that callback episode. It's why we love them so. Because that's what we, we live for those moments that, Something I did in the past matters today and makes a difference towards what I have to do in the future. And whenever that you can recreate that feel in a game, you're winning. So all that very long form to say, yeah, I'm in. Uh, I, 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 I <laughs> need, to, need to see this and invite all of our listeners to also get a piece of this. Be <laughs> sure you're, you're, you're taking a look. Okay. I'm going to give you an epic spoiler. So if anyone doesn't want to know this and wants to be surprised, don't listen for the next little bit. At the end of the Tower 1, the very last thing that you you defeat, one big bad, you think everything's done, there is a portal room, a second portal room. It's the last thing in the tower that is blocked off until you defeat the big, big bad. Going in there activates the portal and allows a Hydra to come through. And that is the chaos evil that was attacking in the first place, which stopped and basically killed everyone. This Hydra got frozen on its way to the tower, and that's what you have to defeat. In the second tower one, before you defeat any boss battle, which are paladins, they're rogues, they're wizards, they're everything that would be considered good to us is an enemy in this. It's been very interesting creating monsters for that. But before you go into each of those rooms to defeat the boss, a god appears and says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not ready yet. Here are 15 elementals. One of you gets to pick one elemental and merge with it. You will then have that elemental's attack throughout the rest of the game. When you defeat the big bad at the end of the second tower, the god reappears and says, essentially, thank you, you've done us a service. These guys will never stop trying to kill us. If If you love us and want to, you know continue being heroes to your people, go through this portal and attack the next tower, which is the first one. As you step through, all the players are merged into the Hydra and every element that you picked, that is now your Hydra head's ability. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good action. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and crack open Pandora's box here with this question a little bit. So... We've all been game playing for a really long time, and we're really big on homebrewing our own campaigns, and we have played 
collectively and apart in some pretty epic campaigns. And none of us have ever had either the wherewithal or the drive to try and put that scope of epic campaign down on paper and kind of dare dare the role-playing gods to put it out on the market and ask people to pay money for so how did you cross that hurdle (laughs) because like like I hear you talk about this and you are so passionate. Your passion is amazing. Thank you. And and the scope of the thing that you're talking about here, I like I hate to keep like banging on that drum, but like this is this is a huge work. It's monstrous in every right way. Like, you know, I don't mean monstrous as an insult. I mean like it's like, no, no. like it can I, be both monstrous and glorious yeah, at the yeah. same time. I mean it's like it's like fr- from like a Wordsworthy and sublime point of view, it's like it's got like this this terrific aspect to it. How? how like how does one even begin to cross that bridge to think okay yeah i've got like a thousand pages of material in my head and i'm just gonna i'm gonna break it up into chunks and publish it like you make it sound like you make it sound like <laughs> you know you make it sound like reading the paper like oh yeah so i wrote 500 pages today it's okay though don't worry about it only 100 spells or so it's like how <laughs> please explain this to me <laughs> okay valid point valid point i don't know I, I will I'll be sat at work. I probably shouldn't admit any of this. So if any colleagues listen to this, my name is not Kel. I'll be sat at work and I'm like, okay, you know what? I've got ten minutes. Ah, oh, I really wish this book right here, whatever it was, was that one that's over there. And I actually have a spell for this. I I the the, the spell that's over there on my couch. I really wish it was the one that's actually next to me. And I I do have a spell now that is, so long as you have a book and you know the book that you want to read, that book will instantly populate the one that's in your hand. That's a great spell. So long as you you don't have to know the contents or anything, just need literally the title and if possible, the author. And there it is in your hand. I can... So again, like we're playing through, like we're doing an actual play of like the Candlekeep mysteries and like doing like investigation style stuff. I can think of like that spell would be insanely useful to them. <laughs> like that's <laughs> yeah. So it's it's things like that. Leon's tiny hut is okay, but it bugs me. So I was like, I I'm this one bugs me. I don't like this. I'm I'm gonna make my own not version, but kind of. So I was like, okay, well, I I was literally just sat here, I think possibly watching Crit, and I thought. That spell just bugs the daylights out of me. If it was a bit of this and it builds that, oh, I'm just going to write it. And this one is a lean to appears in an unoccupied space you see within range. Uh, it has a slatted wooden floor, comfortable padding to sleep on, and a sloped roof which bends around the sides in a semi- semicircle. So it's kind of like half an igloo, is essentially how I've described it. It only fits three people. The magic protection only stops whether it doesn't stop creatures or beasties or anything else. You're not sort of immune to anything but it keeps you dry and it keeps you warm and it, essentially the idea of it was it's you're, you're getting lucky so it fits through people at most um, <laughs> and there's uh, uh, that's how people stay warm got it uh-huh yep <laughs> there's portable sugar <laughs> pretty much yeah it's it's you know go get some oh look i have a lean to it just so happened. So. <laughs> but there's there's a sixth level where you can fit an extra three people. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And a couple of, of higher ones where, where you can fit up to nine people. And six lean-tos, I think it was. Is it the party room lean-to? Pretty much. 
Yeah. So uh, there's somewhere I've I've seen an existing spell. And I'm like that just bugs me, and I've I've completely reworded it to a version that doesn't annoy me so much. For example, I also completely rewrote um, the eight hour overnight sleeping thing. I have a super super important question on the lucky lean two. Does it keep out bugs? No. No, bugs because get that's in. crucial. That's crucial if you're in the woods. Let me double check. And you're, you're going for the true use of the lucky lean to. That's true. Unfortunately, I've just reread it real quick and it doesn't keep out bugs. But it is mm. off the ground. You suggest that as an edit before publication. That's true. It, it is possible to edit it. It is like half a foot off the ground, so you would be safer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just add bug netting. It could be a physical thing yeah. that's attached okay, to the lean to. Okay, I can throw in a bug netting. A magical effect. That's fine. I can yeah. do that. Spare. Mm-hmm. Let me. Yeah, because then the, then the only thing, if it's half a foot off the ground, though, the only thing you really have to worry about are like those centipedes that are twelve inches long. So I mean, that's really. No, no, you yeah. put you put bug netting across the floor too, Josh. You put bug netting across <laughs> the floor too. But yeah. Josh, for yeah, and to be fair, Josh, we think that the spiders should be there. Just yeah, I mean, jump, jumping spiders exactly. They can jump <laughs> no, right uh, in. Nope, nope, nope. Definitely a bug oh, netting. Didn't think <laughs> of that. <them. laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With apologies, that was my dig on, on my co-host. I guess I had a couple questions. You talked about some of the earlier parts of this taking a couple months to put together, mm. but on par to put put the this product together, this Kickstarter together, start to finish. How much time overall do you think you spent uh, uh, from the germ of the idea to where you are today? Writing-wise, it's it's been about six months. The idea popped into my head while I was still doing the original streaming last year, which was October time. So about nine months in total. But I get distracted very easily because... There was something going on the other day and I just went, right, I'm going to have a rant about someone getting covered in acid or jumping in lava and then they sleep for eight hours and everything's fine. And I I literally had a a good hour long rant and then sat down for an entire afternoon and wrote four pages of new rules for long rests. It doesn't have to be used, but I've completely rewritten it that there is a sliding scale of... If you're going to sleep on jagged, sharp rocks, you're getting like 2% of your HP back per like per long rest. If you sleep in a ridiculously plush inn that you've paid five gold for and the sheets are practically made of silk, you're going to get a good 70-80% of your HP back. But not a single one of them will give 100% of the HP. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I've been, I've been kind of toying with lately too is sort of the consequences of long rests after particularly grueling battles, right? So talking about how one rule that I think I'm going to be implementing soon in my game, so any of my players that are listening, this is coming, is that if you if you get to zero hit points uh, for every death save that you have to make, when you wake up after your long rest, you have that many levels of exhaustion, right? So just making it down to zero means a long rest will get you back up to, to full hit points, but... You also have this level of exhaustion, that kind of thing. So trying to go ahead and find some ways to... Because I, I agree with you. Like The single long rest and reset your slate is... I understand that 5e is trying to go for simplicity, and that's a little too simple. It's a little too clean. But then that, that, that brings us to the question that all of us struggle with of when do you add the complexity, right? Because they made it that simple because they wanted to keep it less of a tally system and more in the story and in the moment. And I get that. That's fun. I mean, 3.5 got pretty crazy complicated for a hot minute. And now we keep doing, and they are too a little bit, 
picking spots and re-expanding it because they oversimplified a little bit. And the long rest, I agree 100%. That's one that bugs the crap out of me. And I mean, coming up with some kind of a way to separate, I don't want to go SDC, MDC like Palladium, but you know, there's a difference between superficial damage and structural damage, between broken bones, between, you know, where if you don't, don't get magical healing, it's gonna take time. And they just didn't put anything in there for that. So I'd be very interesting, interested to read what you've written. If you'd like to playtest it, I'm more than happy. Oh, yes. We, we love I, I to do playtests. I apologize if I jumped in front of no, everybody. No, my apologies. The, the, but no. the answer is yes. So... <laughs> So I think so we have mentioned this with other with other folks before, Cal, is that one thing that we would love to get into here on Tabletop Journeys, and we have one coming up in a couple months, we would love to invite creators like you in to run a game session for at least the three of us, or however many players you feel like you need. And then we would similar to our actual play stuff, we would put that out on our actual play channel and give you guys some exposure onto the actual gameplay. So Right, and if you run an AP also, obviously you'd be able to run it as well. But yeah, in terms of a playtest, if you'd be willing to run something where the three of us actually get to be players... Yeah, we would be all over that. So I was going to just tag on, I have a little bit of experience DMing with alternate rules for gritty reality. I'm not the originator of the thought process. Obviously, everybody who plays the game, especially those of us who played previous editions, are all seeking that happy medium between simple enough to bring in new players, but complex enough to make logical sense. And I think that's what we're struggling to find. So there were a number of YouTube podcasters that did a number of things about a year and a half ago. And I made this huge list of things to make a game gritty. And I tried them all at once. And I feel that that was a failure. I think the idea is you got to pick one or two that work. And, and I, when Josh, when you talked to me about exhaustion, that was one of the ones I did. I ended up dropping most of those in general, but I had rules like if somebody get, takes a critical hit, that's a level of exhaustion. That was way too much. That was way over the top. While it made logical sense, if somebody really beamed on you badly, that's going to hurt. So I have, I kind of have in my head, and I tend to only reset these types of rules every tier. Group finishes a tier, then we'll have like a mini session zero. I'm like, hey, I want to adjust some of the rules that we play by to reflect this. How's everybody feel about it? I just want to make sure that's cool. And then we'll play like that. But I like exhaustion from coming back from zero. I think part of the thing there is you need buy-in from your players too. talk to them about the things you're thinking about adding. Don't just throw it in, you know, go over the new rule with them during your mid tier, your, your tier change session zero, you know, and get their, get their ideas too. Yeah. One of the ones that I still use and I hold by is the quality of your rest, similar to what you're doing. Uh, mine's a bit more simple, but it's like my uh, party in a recent game, they slept in a very uncomfortable spot with the wind on them. They didn't have all the right gear, but the idea was what I had them do is everybody got up and rolled constitution save in the morning to reflect the quality of their sleep and what they did. And so I took it as, I'm going to give them exhaustion or whatever. They reset all their other abilities, but it was about whether or not you're going to start exhausted or not. And I do like the idea of the hit points being part of that consideration as well. You know, I, I think that's neat. So I want to see, I can't wait to kind of get my hands on that and wrap my head around it and roll that a few times to see how that works. I love doing one shots and testing rules like that and then getting a feel or feedback in the one shots and then saying, okay, this was really well received. 
this is becoming part of my my ongoing game and, 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 and utilizing that. So, ironically, the the Kickstarter goes live on Tuesday. I start a preview of editing the subclasses on Wednesday. Yeah, so just like I can get a little, there's a couple that are slightly misbalanced, so I'm going to work on those. But I completely forgot. I have a third location that. Someone is playtesting the second one for me and I, I gave them the health rules and they've run with it and absolutely loved it. The players were a bit, oh, this is unusual at first, but it's completely changed their play style because it's not, I can instantly wake up and yeah, gung ho. It's all, oh, we're going to have a few more healing spells available if we, we're sleeping somewhere that we're not getting a full rest or we're not going to quite go as gung ho. And I like to put a lot of puzzles and things in, a lot of thinkers there's, there's plenty of battles. I literally have a D20 for every possible level of what you could encounter. But there wasn't an, an almost accidental total party kill on the second playtest. And I was just mulling this over in my head. And I was like, what if there was a way that the players could self-resurrect from a total party kill? A bit out there, I know. But I've essentially created an entire level and by level, I actually mean five levels, of the underworld. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> go on, so you've designed hell. Okay, go on, yep. carry on. <laughs> I, I redesigned hell. There is five levels yeah. of hell. And you don't get to play. You have to actually defeat death. The exit to life again is behind death on the fifth level after his palace. But you don't go down as your characters. Your characters and their bodies stay where you died. And essentially, this mini campaign is in a split second between you dying and coming back. So you go down, you become either a wraith or a starved one. Or I have five at the moment, five new races for basically ghastly, ghostly, undead beings. But there's there's motivation. So one of them, if you don't get anything from a long rest... But if you consume the flesh of the dead, something that you have killed yourself or participated in the killing of, then you get that HP from them. So if you consume it, this one's a little bit dark, I won't deny, some kind of monster that was attacking you that's of the same size as you, you will get your full HP back. If you, I don't know, consume something the size of a rabbit, you'll only get 10%. Another one is sort of an anti-barbarian, similar to a barbarian in that if you don't attack something every 24 hours, you start to lose HP. So there's a reason, there's there's a way to encourage people to keep moving forward and keep trying to work their way through hell and not dilly-dally, if you will. So, but then in, in terms of a total party kill, then you have a party of people. So your entire campaign goes through this one second between life and death blip, right? So from that perspective, I'm with you. But once you introduce something like that, how do you run it when just the bard dies? I mean, nobody really cares. It was just the bard. But at the same time, <laughs> so they don't want to waste the resurrection on it. And but th So the bard's like, well, why can't I play my way through hell solo? You know, because now you could, and but now you've done like a, a massive party split. Because if that happens in the space of a second, you know what I mean. How would you how would you handle that? I personally would have it that you say, okay, you are going to hell. That's absolutely fine. Here are the hell rules. Here are the hell races. We'll figure out what one you are, and fine, you're resurrected. And then, as a separate recording, me and the bard, we would play through hell. 
or the bard that comes back really isn't the bard. I mean, there's a yeah. bunch of options, in, right? There's a yeah. like bard that's you know, it's, you know, it's like, you're actually inhabited yeah. by something else. Yeah, I mean, it's like come on, like that's it's the Strahd T-shirt. I'm telling you, like I'm, <laughs> I'm channeling something today. So, so let me let me wrap my head around this concept because I like I like where all of this is going and and want to kind of mash this all together because I, I I love it a lot. I'm uh, honestly it's creating a story where I want to kill him on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not supposed to do that, damn it. That's that's what the person who play tested me said. She was like, I want to kill everyone now. <laughs> <laughs> so the you've got a party. One or two people pass. The party chooses to resurrect them. Like you've told those players you gotta sit over here on the side. We're gonna do your things separately. The battle is continuing in real time. The party wins. The remaining party wins. They actually use their spell abilities to bring back the first two. But they And you finish that combat, you finish that session. You still run the other session for these two. And if they don't make it back, they have, you're now something else. And we'll roll that up. And now you go back, pretend to be you, but you're really something else. And you know it. And you know it alone, or maybe the two of them recognize it within each other. And, and now you're, you're oh, oh, wow, that is so With good. the right players, that could be awesome. Mm-hmm. You have to saying. have like, the right is, players yeah. for that. You know, your, your new guy isn't, isn't going to be able to pull that off. Right. Or not likely, anyway. Yeah, I can say without a doubt, the players that were blessed to have join us on our actual play they would eat that up yep. for lunch every day and Sunday. And, uh, and if, if, nothing, if nothing else, let this this sort of tangent off of the side quest underscore that we have some epic ideas and we have never had the chutzpah to try to put it together in a thousand page book spread over six or seven different Kickstarters. So kudos so strongly to you, Cal, and really like for the work that, that you're doing. Lee Winnicky, you said you had some additional questions that you wanted to go... Or, or, I, I did. Uh, some of them have been... Answered as we've been talking, as what happens in these side quest interviews, I wanted to kind of one point out and then two heavy speak on a couple of things that I noticed that I absolutely loved when looking into this Kickstarter. And the number one thing, and I think it's brilliant that it happened to time out for this particular month, but it was not by design. It wasn't something we set out to do. Uh, the fact that it's Pride Month here in the States. I don't know if that's international or not. It is, yes. It is, okay. I think it was wonderful. And the fact that inclusivity is baked into the DNA of this product and the way it's described, it, it's like in the first couple sentences on the Kickstarter, is amazing. I absolutely love that fact. And I, and I did want to kind of get your thoughts on the podcast about it because we are trumpeting the fact that we need to include as many and everyone we possibly can, but to have other collaborators out there talking about it is of critical importance to us as individuals and our hobby as a whole. If we're going to move forward in this world, we've got to be do better and be better. And this is one of those really important steps towards that. So please do, do tell. Thank you. Yeah, this, this is something that's ridiculously important to me. When I first started Awfully Queer Heroes, I didn't know what was going to happen with it. I had no idea, even if we would get five fans, between the Discord, the podcast, the Twitch streams and everything else, and now this, I have tried to be 
I mean, I'm queer myself. I'm a lesbian. I'm non-binary. I should say sapphic, actually. I'm sapphic and non-binary. And my, my partner is as well. So for us, it's it's ridiculously important because we sat down and started playing D&D and everything's just straight, cis, non-queer. There's no representation. And that, at first it didn't dawn on me. It wasn't, because it's not a sort of big insidious thing, it just didn't really click at first. But then the more I was playing, I was like, well, where, where is the queer NPC? Where Where is, you know, my characters are always queer and pretty much so are all of my entire team. But where are the queer NPCs? Where's the queer gods? Where's, where's queer anything? You know, pass a shop, stick a rainbow flag in it. I mean, come on, anything here. And there, there was nothing. So I started the, the Awfully Queer Heroes and it was more when actually everything fell apart and I rebuilt it in the podcast and made the Discord server that I started playing with the team that I am. And one of them said, look, I, I absolutely will not join if I ever have to hear the audio. I was like, that's absolutely fine. I will always warn you when I'm putting it out and where I'm putting it. And we will never, I will never, ever ask you to listen to it because it was voice dysphoria. And that person is now my audio editor because they have, and I'm not going to use any gendered terms or give any indication of who it is, but that person has become so comfortable being on the server and being accepted and having everyone using the right pronouns all the time that they just said, okay, yeah, that's fine. You can give it to me. That's not a problem. Someone else has turned around and gone, because of this representation, I actually figured out I was asexual. Thank you so much. And someone else has turned around and said, I didn't know I was a trans man. And these things are huge. Like to hear that and be told that I, I was in tears almost every single time because to be able to, to have something where someone can either play something or listen to something, hear something, see something and go, oh, that, that hits a bit close to home. I wonder why that is. And they look into it and go, oh crap, I'm, I'm queer or, oh yay, I'm queer, whichever it might be, depending on where they live and what treatment they may or may not receive. But honestly even the moment because yeah you know, it can be a roller coaster yeah i mean it took me from i figured out i was queer when i was 16 it took me till the year i got married to really accept that because i came from a very unaccepting quite hostile actually environment where it just wasn't good and there was no being raised in the 80s the only representation i got to see was in the 90s which was ellen <laughs> um so I didn't even know until I was 16 that lesbian was even a word. I didn't know that it was possible to be attracted to the same sex. I had no clue. And I know it's improved since then, but there are still people that won't know that because they're in these places where they can't see that. But if they get a book online and or they get a digital copy or they see something and it just gives them that word and they go, oh, that sounds, that sounds like me. I relate to that. That's so, so important to, to the survival actually of a lot of people because so many queer people still commit suicide and sorry, really dark things. Trigger warning. 
so many people still commit suicide because they don't get the support or the love or the caring or anything that they need. So I've always tried to make that wherever I happen to be as open and accepting as I can. And to have that now and to have people turning around and say to me, this made a change to my life. That's amazing. Um, like I said, that was the number one thing I picked up on as far as, I mean, the product is, 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 is amazing in and of itself and it has a value, but, uh, we, we here at this show, we, like I said, do better, be better. We know that there are things we like in our genre and we look to that next level about not, not why we like it or not why we're interested, but what takes it to that next level. Like, what's the next step? Is it more than just feeding fan service? Is it more than all of those things? Does it do something more? How does it improve the community as a whole? We look to those things, and that that left off the digital page yeah. at me when I saw this. Um, and, and increasing representation makes our hobby better. Like, at the end of the day, absent of how fantastic this product looks and everything like that, we are... I won't speak for everybody for everybody else, but I know I am extremely proud of how we try to be we try to be representative in everything that we do and we try to be we try to be those standard bearers because we we come from a very on some level we come from a very lucky and, and definitely a privileged place and being able to use what platform we have here at the podcast to make our hobby better makes me extremely proud and extremely happy. Yeah, I I love the fact that I can walk into my local shop and feel proud of my hobby. Like, I don't have to hide. I go to the store, uh, the game store. Like, I talk about the game store in all of my walks of life because I'm proud of this hobby. But part of being able to do that is improving it all the way. Like, you have to... It's a, it's a Boy Scout thing. Uh, you got to leave the environment better than, than the way you found it. And uh, that that's an added... It's a way of life that I put into as many parts of my life as I can. And this is a major piece of that is if I want to be proud of this hobby, I have to continue doing the things and celebrating things, bringing in people to help me continue to be proud of this hobby. And along those ways, the, along those lines, environmental commitments, again, with being a Boy Scout for all these years, the environment we live in, the things we do is important. And with, where we have the ability to do better with it, we should. And I love the fact that that's a call out again on that page where you talk about your environmental commitments, your the processes, the factories, and all of those things. I want you to be able to talk about it. I don't want to just read from the page. I want you to be able to talk about it. So the audience hears your voice mm. talking about these important issues. Well, it, it is very important. That's, that's equally important to me is the fact that we don't add to the damage that's that's being done to the world. There's so much crap in the air. There's so much horrifying stuff in the soil and in the water and everything as a whole. It's, it's appalling. And that was something that was very important to me is that we deliberately hunted out a, by we, I mean my cohort and I, Stephen from the Grinning Frog on Twitter. He's amazing at formatting. But we deliberately hunted out a printer that used environmentally friendly inks, recycled plastics only, ones that, you know, none of those things that take 150 years to biodegrade and all that. They use 
I think it's 97% or 100%. I'm, I think it's 97% recycled paper. And it's amazing quality paper. I, I have one of them. I have one of them here, actually, within arm's reach. How lucky. And it doesn't look like it's recycled. It's thick. It's really well printed. The images are absolutely stunning that they do. You wouldn't assume that this was recycled paper, recycled inks and environmentally friendly inks or anything like that. It looks like something that was done at the worst possible, highest quality place that you could possibly imagine because it's that brilliant that you just wouldn't. The reason I say that is a lot of the times when people say, oh, it's environmentally friendly, they think poor quality. This is not poor quality. This is amazing stuff. I deliberately ordered and paid out my own pocket for a couple of, of previews, a paperback and a hardback, so that I would know in advance whether or not they were good enough to actually be used. And as soon as I saw the quality, I was like, this is absolutely fine. They use all really good things. There's nothing that I can see in what they say that's harmful. So we were really happy about that. The packaging that I always try and use is also biodegradable. Sometimes that's not the easiest, but 99.9% .9 of the time that is what, well, I will always hunt it out and 99.9% .9 of the time that is what I will find. The, the first Kickstarter that I ever did that was for a series of maps, I got specifically biodegrade, I paid through the nose for them, but it was worth it because they biodegrade in six weeks. Stick them in your compost, they're gone. They're, like the glue that seals it is biodegradable. It's non-harmful to animals or fishes and things like that. It was so important to me that we find things like that. And honestly, I don't care if I'm paying an extra 10, 20, 30 quid for the packaging out of my own pocket so that we can make sure that happens and everyone is getting their stuff while not doing further harm is, is vital. Yeah, and it absolutely is. And, and I come from a, actually, a, a, the three of us come from very conservative backgrounds, to say the least, without getting into that particular rabbit hole. Um, <clears throat> but I have always believed, and I believe I am not just speaking for, I, I, I believe they'll agree with me, but uh, please let me know if you disagree, that when you have the ability to do better, just do it. It's not a question. If you have the ability to make the better choice, make the better choice. I think everybody can recognize there are going to be times and situations where there may not be a better choice available. Then you do what you can, and then you got to do something extra on the side to make up for what you did. But when a better option exists, if you're not taking it, you're not being a good steward. And I, and I think that's where I fall on that line. I'm not a believer in forcing people to do any one thing, but I know with the choices I personally make, with the choices our company can make, we can do right and we can show a better way. And so the fact that you called it out, it's why I asked the question, asked you to speak on it, is because we talk to a lot of collaborators. We talk to a lot of content creators, people who are out there making books and putting out products. And you made the great point. When, you, when people think environmentally safe, they think bad. They think poor quality. They think it's not going to stand up. So what, when I read through what you wrote and then I'm hearing you talk about it, I'm like, it needs to be celebrated and it needs to be spoken to in the community to all of us who are out there doing homebrew content and producing content for fans in this space that there are other options out there and we need to start 
we need to start sharing that tribal knowledge, for lack of a better term, so that these types of companies get more of our collective business and get more celebration. And hopefully that will turn some of these other companies around and say, if somebody else is doing it and they see the cost benefit, then maybe other companies will start following that lead. Before we continue on here, we have probably time for like one more question. So, Lee Winnie, did you have anything else or Glenn, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask before? Mine was similar to that line. It was, I, I see the uh, pound cost on the, on the webpage. For those of us who have no, I can't transfer pounds to US dollars at all. I was wondering about how much is this uh, package specifically, that beautiful digital package that includes the first adventure and all of those maps. How much was that? And then the one with the hardcover, I think you said it was 70 pounds. I was looking for that conversion generally. Okay. The PDF is 18 pounds, which roughly translates to uh, $25. When it goes live, there should be an auto conversion underneath the rate for each person's thing. But just in case, the highest one, well, the, the, the hardback is 32, which is $45. The highest one we have for, for a regular backer and a non-commercial backer is 95. That's two hardback books, this one and the previous adventure that we've literally just finished, and every digital content that we have, including 200 maps. And that's £95, which is $134, $135-ish. But that has 200 maps, 20, mm, 10, 15, I think, off the top of my head, player handouts. There's a small journal from, from one of the main characters. Then the 64-page adventure, then this this particular one, plus the hardback copies of both of them. So there's... We've tried to... Oh, and we have early bird specials, for, but I don't... I think if this is going out the week on the Wednesday after, they may have finished by that point. We've got two early bird specials for 48 hours. All right, Kel from Awfully Queer Heroes, your Kickstarter is launching on the 8th of June. So by the point that people are listening to this, it has been live for about a week. Everybody out there, go check out the Sunblade subclasses, Spells, and Pantheon. It's on Kickstarter right now. I get in because this looks fabulous. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I it, this I can't wait to play through it. And we would love to go ahead and have you back. That, that invitation was absolutely sincere to have you come back and show us just how awesome these rules are. We, we love the way that you're approaching it. Um, it sounds fabulous. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the show. I've had a fabulous time this afternoon. Same. Thank it, was, you. it was a really great time, a really great conversation and a really great person to meet, which it's is my other to have met you all. And this. I appreciate you having me here. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys, and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, 
and every Wednesdays, will feature our SideQuest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.